Welcome back to yet another episode of Rabbit Hole Stories. Today we had uh, an anonymous person here with us, or synonymous person, if you want to call it that. Uh, he goes by Do Not Comply and uh, or DN Comply on Bitcoin Twitter. Mate, I love this one. It was um, a fascinating conversation. Um, he's obviously a deep thinker. He can articulate himself very well, and he obviously spends a lot of time um, sort of contemplating what Bitcoin is mm -hmm. and the value it brings about in the world. So uh, a lot of sort of talk on the meta scale. Um, what, what did you get from the episode? So it was uh, very jam-packed. Uh, sometimes it was a bit, a lot to process for me, but that was more because it was like past 11 p.m. Uh, my time. So it was quite a late recording for me. Uh, and even more... It was past your bedtime, Yeah, it was past are. my bedtime. Uh, but even more, <laughs> well, yeah, technically at, around that time, I do actually lie in bed. <laughs> I just don't go to sleep. Uh, but even more impressive is it was 6 a.m. his time and he was on from the get-go. So a lot of great talks and a lot of good resources also that he shared with us. So make sure to check the show notes. And uh, yeah, don't want to hold you back. Just listen to a cool episode between us three. Hello and welcome back, everyone, to another episode here on Rabbit Hole Stories. And today it is our first episode where we have uh, someone with a Anon account, Poseidon or whatever, on. And it's DN Comply. How has your day been so far? Uh, pretty pretty new. I just uh, got up about 30 minutes ago at, at 5.30 in the morning here in Japan. But uh, off to a good start, drinking a little coffee. And I've been, we've had this scheduled for about a week. So I'm really looking, uh, I've been looking forward to finally chatting with you guys. I've um, been dependent on coffee every morning now for at least the last, I don't know when, couple of decades. And I, uh, I at least now have to have two cups of coffee before I'm even functional. I don't know if that's the same view, DN comply, but um, it's it's become somewhat of a a morning routine. Well, the um, you know I spend a lot of time reading up on uh, health and nutrition, and uh, there is really really solid evidence that a cup of coffee or two a day is quite good for you. Like it's. Uh, there, there aren't too many things in nutrition that you can be sure of without a shadow of a doubt. Uh, but uh, the fact that coffee is a, is a healthful addition to your diet is, uh, is quite clear. So that's reassuring, ain't it? Yeah, definitely. Because, you know, obviously you hear all different sorts of opinions about these things. And um, we can probably segue into sort of... Um, conspiracy theories and science and mainstream media and how we get sort of um, discombobulated with the constant information coming our way under the name of science and you know oh, yeah. going down a rabbit hole going down a rabbit hole makes you question everything and one of those is the narratives that you've been fed throughout your life right so um, yeah um, when you when you start to hear these alternative things oh coffee's actually good for you actually and you know it can sort of you know do all these benefits to um, your health. Um, have you got any opinion about that? Or is that completely an alien concept to you? And I've well, gone off on a tangent, so. No, not at all. I mean, I, almost everything I was taught as a child turned out to be wrong by now. I mean, the longer you live, mm. the more you realize that uh, um, things that were unquestioned as true, you know, 30, 40 years ago, uh, just turned out to be completely bogus. I think, uh, you know, just in in the most, uh, in the simplest terms, I, I mean, I'm, I'm in my 50s now, but uh, I think when I was in my teens and 20s, 
anyone who thought that uh, JFK might have been, you know, bumped off by more than one gunman was uh, was considered to be, uh, you know, uh, of questionable sanity. I mean, Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, to to even question that was uh, was was, uh, really beyond the pale. And and now it's like if if you don't realize that something you know pretty sinister went down in 1961, I don't know what to tell you. Do you actually know that the word conspiracy theory was invented by the CIA to cover up a lot of the misfortunes um, with the JFK assassination? So ever since the, 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 that whole fucking word has been all around in the world somehow somewhere out there. Oh, for sure, for sure. I mean, uh, I, I mean, I. I can tell you that I have spent the, uh, I don't know if you read Dave Collins' annual year in review, but I've uh, I, I've uh, helped to edit uh, the last two of them. And uh, those are really good. He's working on, uh, he's working on the 2023 one at, uh, right now. And I, I guess hopefully that'll be out in the next month or so. But uh, uh, I think I'm going to get the opportunity to, uh, to, uh, read that over beforehand and, uh, and give him my comments and so forth. So, uh, um, you know, that's, that's like, a, I, he's, he's a, uh, professor of chemistry at Cornell and, uh, just one of the most, um, uh, widely read and interesting thinkers you're going to meet. And, um, you know, I, I think, I think it's my nature to not, uh, to to not be suspicious and not to uh, look for conspiracies, but I think it's uh, on the other hand. Uh, so I I am I am actually biased towards the mainstream narrative unless I see like red flags that point me in the other direction. And unfortunately, there's just a lot of red flags on a lot of things. I don't know what else to say. And uh, um, you know, I think I think the the only thing. You know, I, 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 I mean, whether we're talking uh, COVID or Building Seven or any of those things, I mean, it's not that I ha- necessarily have an opinion. My opinion is I don't know what the heck is going on in almost anything, but it sure, you know, I sure see a lot of red flags wherever I look. I, I, I think, I think just having humility and 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 realizing that. It's okay to just say, hey, I don't know. Like everybody needs to have an opinion about something. And why is that? I, I don't have, I, I, mean, I, uh, I mean, I just feel like, uh, you know, for most things, my answer is I don't know. I don't, I, I, I can't even begin to know. You know, so that's that's kind of my take on the world. I know there's there's one thing I know, and that's if you are if you are a no coiner in 2023, you really need to get on that and turn things around because uh, the window is closing, man. Yeah, wake up and uh, smell the truth. Right. And um, yeah, a lot of people are resistant to um, even seeing uh, what's in plain sight. And I think there is a lot to be said for um the fud that is continuing to be fed to them and how susceptible they are to just believe the 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 mainstream legacy media right and how it's difficult once you've been gaslit and controlled by the system 
um, therefore, you know, it, it, it creates this sort of smokescreen uh, where it's, it's harder for some people to discover that truth, right? But, you know, um, there is hope yet. And obviously, um, the, the proofs in the exponential um, going up forever, Laura, growth, that is Bitcoin. And listening to what you, you've been talking about in terms of questioning things like you don't know and um, potentially being suspicious about these narratives, I'm, I'm guessing that's why you've gone uh, for uh, remaining anonymous. And now that you're, you know, you're do not comply, DN comply, um, which um, obviously uh, now I'm very interested and I'm, not, I'm conscious I've been talking a lot, um, how you've got to be in there and, and what led you to there once you discover Bitcoin and when was that you discovered Bitcoin? So what's been that journey for you? Oh, okay. Well, well, uh, all right. So, so I'll, I'll get back to my discovery story in, in just a moment, but uh, you, you kind of, you kind of uh, embedded in that question is uh, uh, why did I choose to uh, a pseudonym for my identity? And uh, I think the biggest reason is um I mean, there, uh, there's a little bit of OPSEC in there. I mean, I am uh, certainly a whole coiner. And uh, if you are a whole coiner, uh, letting hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of people know your identity is really fucking stupid. And, uh, you know, like like just last week, Ledger came out with uh, uh, you could buy this cool looking orange hat with Bitcoin on it. And you'd have to be out of your mind to go out in public wearing, you know, <laughs> wearing that unless, I saw that. Uh, you know, it's like, are you kidding me? Um, you know, you're basically announcing to the world that you're a whole coiner. Um, and, uh, but I mean, I think the larger reason why I chose uh, a pseudonym was just because I've already had a career. I, I'm kind of, uh, uh, I don't I don't really need to work anymore, but I, I put several decades into being a subject matter expert in in a in an unrelated field. And I've done plenty of uh, I, I've just had plenty of pats on the back. I've had plenty of attention. I've had all the you know, I've had a full career. And I think that uh, so I've already gotten more credit you know I, I i you know my i you know my my mother's proud of me you know it's like i've i've done all those things and i've had a full career so i don't really need uh you know any more praise and uh i don't i don't care about um yeah i i i you know there's there you know i, I i'm not claiming to be some enlightened person, but I am saying definitively that there's no ego involved in what I'm doing because I'm doing it, you know, by the very fact that I'm doing it anonymously, it means that I can't really receive meaningful praise and nobody's going to lift me up as being like one of the, you know, one of the non-plebs in the Bitcoin world. And that's, that's what I want. You know, I want to, uh, I want whatever I contribute to Bitcoin to be coming from a very, very pure place. Like that's really important. I want my motivations to be pure. 
And so uh, being a pleb is, 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 and, and being a, working under a pseudonym is a big part of that, as is the idea that, um, you know, another thing that keeps my motivations pure is I pay for my own website and hosting out of my pocket and I don't run ads. There is no way that anyone can send me any Satoshis. There is no way. There's no way for I don't run ads. There's no way for me to sell out. And I'm not saying that any, um, you know, that that businesses and podcasts that run ads or whatever or or take in revenue from other sources are necessarily, um, uh, you know, worthy of approach or whatever. But uh you know it's it 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 creates an opportunity anyway to kind of go uh to make compromises that i will never even be tempted with because i make no attempt to monetize i mean i i have to say you know like uh, i mean i'm into all kinds of vices but one vice that i just despise is gambling. I just think it's a sickness. And I think that uh, it's an industry just full of scumbags, because I think that, uh, you know, if you look at what gambling can do to people susceptible to it, it's just it's just uh, a morally indefensible business. And it really bothers the living shit out of me when podcasts I respect and have great content will run ads for Bitcoin casinos. Uh, you know, it's just really, I find that very disturbing. So we can get into my origin story, but that's why I chose uh, to operate under a pseudonym. And on top of that, uh, never make any attempts to monetize. This is a very um, important point because this is somewhere where we are at currently. Um, so we're recording this uh, late November, early December um, to not give away the date today. And because um, it will go out probably January. And, you know, we've been contacted by a few Bitcoin companies who ask for sponsorships. Okay. They obviously ask like, hey, can we have our founder on your show? And, you know, we're, we're generally quite open because, yeah, I used to work in the media landscape. I know how these things work, you know, pay you a bit and it's favorable coverage. But if they come on, they're here to talk about their rabbit hole story, why Bitcoin benefits. And we're not here to, you know, shill anything. Um, but I can imagine the the bigger the show grows, the more... Um, the more you have to ask yourself these questions if this if this is something yeah. you want to look into. And I am fully on board with you. I don't really understood why a lot of the big podcasters took on, um, you know, it's one thing if you take on something like a mining company who's publicly traded. I mean, granted, most of them lost a shit ton of money since going public anyway. Um, so this is sort of the gamble you play if you play along in the traditional markets. But if you then go in and you accept money from these high yield products, which if you actually speak to a lot of the people who work in the asset management world, everyone was just gambling on the GBTC premium. And uh, at the end of the day, the loss that they took in. So that's where they overspeculated and all of these things went bust. So I think it's a hard needle to to find a way. And if you don't stick to a certain system i can be bitcoin for you that can be different things you know um i think it's very hard to break out of this because they're humans and they get greedy and you know they get just a little bit more for a little bit less and that's where sort of that death spiral starts just as a comment from our end um i don't know if you want to add something to this before we continue to your bitcoin story yeah i i i, I very much do I, I mean, just since we've, uh, I mean, you've just, you've just shared kind of where you guys are at in your show's evolution. And, you know, it sounds to me like, uh, 
you're kind of at the stage of reaching critical mass. And and I would just say, like, now is the time to, like, focus on asking your audience for support, not in not in sending you sats necessarily, but 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 just trying to reach out and form connections with your audience, uh, be, you know, just saying, hey, you know, uh, if you have any comments on the show, just email me. Like you know, just just one or two interactions with uh, with with one of your followers creates a much more durable and lasting impression, and mm-hmm. it, it it's like it separates you from from just being up on a pedestal away from all the people who are like listening to you. Um, all the way back at the start of the mainstream internet, there was uh, this idea of uh, somebody, a musician wrote this really important piece about true fans. And I, I forget what it was, but I think he said, you need a thousand true fans. That's all you needed. Like you didn't need to uh, a record company and you didn't need to uh, go platinum with a record. If you wanted to become financially viable uh, as a recording artist in, in the year 2000, you needed like a thousand fans who would just support you at every turn, who would buy every one of your CDs, who would, you know, come out and see you on tour and bring their friends. That's all you needed. And um, I think that concept, even though it's a couple of decades old, is uh, uh, has has had no loss of relevance whatsoever. Still holds up, yeah. uh, It's something, you know, you, you... yeah, yeah. I mean, if if you want to take your show to the next level, what I want to say, just just as kind of a, a little experiment, is, uh, hey, anyone listening to this who um, who has uh, you know really liked this show and put it uh, at the top of their subscription list, why don't you why don't you write in uh, and just begin to make a connection and begin to. Uh, uh, show some passion about this show and uh, reach out to uh, to you guys and mm-hmm. uh, and and just uh, become part of the tribe. Uh, Seth Godin wrote a good book called Tribe, by yep. the way, that yep. uh, lays down a lot of these concepts. Uh, but but um, yeah, connecting with your listeners is infinitely preferable to uh to uh monetizing in questionable ways and we'll and we'll get you to the same level of sustainability without making compromises guys if there's any confusion we've just had a bit of a technical issue on my end it's my fault um but hopefully um I mean, this is a fascinating conversation, so I'm sorry if there's been any interruption in that. But um, it's interesting what you were saying, Dan Comply, is um, in in the um, content side of things. We believe here at Rabbit Hole Stories in the whole value for value concept. We want to deliver value, um, and we, we're very much interested in people's feedback to us. And, you know, we want to um, communicate in the best way possible to to our listeners and hopefully that will encourage other people to listen to the stories that come on to resonate with people and spread the the signal of bitcoin and join uh, each of our video recordings um, if you're listening to this on audio if you went over to youtube you'll see two qr codes at the bottom where you can just zap us some sats from there um, so you can sort of uh, give the show some sats if you believe there is some value in what we're saying um, so we're, we're very um, sort of um, connected to our audience that way
Or if you feel like you don't want to send sats, which is totally fine. I mean, we, we all get if you want to hold on or, you know, if, if life gets in the way and you need to hold on to your Bitcoin, believe me, I have I had to sell Bitcoin at some pretty stupid situations in my life. Um, it's like yeah. the end comply set. If you have a suggestion, send us an email. I always link the email in the show notes. You can obviously tweet at us. Uh I'm just thinking what else they could do. We're on Nostr. We're on it. We're on. We're on every fucking social media platform. Just look for Rabbit Hole Stories, Bitcoin, or Bitcoin Podcast, and you'll find us pretty quickly. Um, and make your voices heard because this is what this show is all about. At the end, we want to give the perspective of how many different people and stories and you know life events are in Bitcoin. Because um, correct me if I'm wrong, Dian Comply. Could that be somehow how you got into Bitcoin or what's your actually um, Bitcoin origin story? Like, how did you discover it? Uh, well, I, I, I've told this story on a, on a couple of the podcasts I've been on, uh, uh, including uh, my very first one with John Dallas. But it's, it, I think as origin stories go, it's, a, it's kind of a cool one. Uh, I was visiting, uh, I, I used to live in Maui uh, back uh, for about three or four years uh starting in like 2008 and um and and i guess uh at the end of 2014 i'd been out of maui for almost three years and uh, i had a friend who uh was divorced and had a couple of young children and her children were spending the summer on the mainland with their dad so i rented uh their bedroom from my friend from my old friend and um and uh, one one day I was walking down the street in Paia, and this hippie was like, "Hey, man!" And I uh, I was like, "Hey, what's going on?" And he's like, "I have to catch a flight to uh, the the U.S. and so I I can't bring my weed with me here. Please take this." So I was like, "Cool." So um, uh, a little later on, I was back at the house and I was uh, smoking some some of the weed and got really baked and. Uh, I was like, ah, what do I do now? I think I'll listen to a podcast. Uh, and uh, so I, I opened up Joe Rogan's podcast. And there were, you know, you look at the last 10 episodes, who was on lately? Who do I want to listen to? Uh, you know, what names leap out? And there was this uh, one, the names that the name that left out was uh, somebody I'd never heard of before. Uh, some guy with a crazy name, Andreas Antonopoulos. Andreas Antonopoulos, what the hell? So I, I, uh, I, I was just like, who the hell is this guy? So I started listening to it, and it was gonna, it was a, it was a Bitcoin podcast. It was the second or third he did with Rogan, and I had known about Bitcoin uh, since right when it came out because of I was a reader of Slashdot, and it just, I, I, I thought it was just like I, I knew that like Beanie Babies and, you know, there would be investment fads. And I remember like watching Bitcoin go up to like a, you know, uh, insane amount and crash and go up and crash. And I, I had the feeling I'd buy some eventually, but it just struck me as being too high. And uh, it just seemed like some, you know, there was something about it that appealed to me. But um then I started listening to Andreas uh, talking to Rogan, and I just feel like I uh, um, was lucky enough to have a background in uh, a bunch of fields that led me to connect the dots immediately. 
like I already knew and understood public key encryption, like the fundamental concepts behind that. And and uh, back when I was in high school, I, I just found economics an interesting topic. And I took an e AP class. And then beyond that, I read The Wealth of Nations and Das Kapital. And I had, you know, just a general understanding since the Reagan era of um, the fundamentals of economics and, and even how money is created, which, frankly, most people have no idea about how money is created. And that's one of the reasons that, uh, you know, that Bitcoin is uh, still under a million dollars. There's just so few people who realize what a what a mess the financial system is and how just brutally manipulated it is uh, for the gain of, uh, you know, it's a big club and you ain't in it. Um, so I, I knew about public key encryption. I knew about the fundamentals of macroeconomics and economic policy and the Federal Reserve and the national debt. Uh, and I also had done uh, a little, uh, you know, uh, a few hundred hours of just very high level, simple coding in my life between BASIC and Pascal and Fortran and HyperTalk. Uh, so I knew I knew scripting and, and high-level programming languages, and I think if you spend more than 20 hours of your life just just even writing a, a program in BASIC or whatever, uh, that will rewire your brain a bit because there is no way but to think in a linear way. And, and you also realize that... Uh, that's kind of the glue that holds everything else together. Hey, I could write a scripting language that issues tokens every 10 minutes and uh, uses public uh, key encryption uh, so that your token is secure. And then I could say like, like the entire kind of uh, uh, organization of the white paper, if you know scripting and you know public key encryption already, it will you'll be able to kind of connect the dots and even even though you certainly can't uh create bitcoin from scratch like you don't have that degree of technical knowledge you'd have enough to kind of uh know that somebody competent could do it and and then if you also know what a fucking disaster the uh financial system is and how it's you know marching us towards the abyss you you can very quickly understand oh, holy crap this is this entire system is uh you know fundamentally uh ingenious uh so long as so long as it's been uh created uh so long as there aren't any bugs in the overall thinking and by this point you know 2014 bitcoin had been around 4 years and if you know the the lindy effect um you know I would be very, 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 very skeptical if Bitcoin were four weeks old, that it could last, uh, you know, a hundred years. But at, at, a, at a year, maybe it could. At, at a couple of years, hmm, you know, at four years, well, this has a shot. So, um, and now in, 20, um, in 2023, uh, you know, after the block size wars and uh, you know the chi China's uh, mining ban and all that. You know we've had we've had 
one test after another after another, and every time Bitcoin emerges unscathed and stronger than ever. So the Lindy effect is really backing us up here in a way that goes way beyond where we were in 2014. I definitely, anyway, um, because the pump had been primed by my knowing, you know, by having a dilettante knowledge of uh, coding and economics and game theory and public key cryptography, uh, all the dots, you know, uh, I, I was able to connect the dots so that by the end of the show, by the end of this three-hour podcast, I uh, was I, I was basically I, I basically decided that I was going to put my entire life savings, which weren't all that much, but I was going to put essentially my entire life savings into Bitcoin. And at the point at that point, you know, uh, Bitcoin was going for about three hundred and twenty dollars a coin, and um, you know, I realized that hey, this stuff is. Uh, a couple of orders of magnitude scarcer than gold, and yet it's selling for one-fifth the price. That's crazy. And if I can just buy 21 Bitcoins, I would own one one-millionth of the supply on a planet with 7 billion people. That's an incredible, like, like you know, just the basics of the math were such that I, I realized that this was just uh, an if it if it worked and there was no guarantee, but the Lindy effect was beginning to suggest it might, uh, that this was either going to be, uh, you know, it, it was it was a binary outcome, either e- either being a multi whole coiner would make me uh, uh, incredibly wealthy, or I was going to lose everything. And yellow man, yellow, I just you know, put it all into Bitcoin and uh, and uh, haven't looked back. And uh, here we are in 2023 and I've never sold a Satoshi. I did give a I did give an entire Bitcoin away to uh, to a close friend of mine uh, just because I, I wanted him to be a whole coiner. But, um, you know, apart from that, I've never I've never parted with a single Satoshi. The. I got. I suppose I've got a couple of things to say. Um, what struck me when I was hearing you talk is is, I mean, shout out first of all to Andres. Um, you know, the, he he can articulate Bitcoin um, better than most. I feel, and he does a good job at um, connecting um, with the audience that he's presenting to in a way that can only really sort of. Exp- it's difficult to articulate something as abstract as as Bitcoin. I think Andreas does a fantastic job at doing that, and he gets a lot of um, shit in the space now um, from you know hardcore Bitcoin maxis and things like that. And uh, we can talk about that. But what I was particularly sort of um, thinking when you were talking is the the energy and the passion that you talk about Bitcoin, and this is what I really get from being uh, the co-host here at Rabbit Hole Stories is listening to um, what Bitcoin has done for people um, and the energy uh, and passion it gives them and a sense of purpose. And what also came across my mind at the same time was we all say very similar things. We all think in similar ways in terms of how Bitcoin 
um, is structured and, and how it can be of benefit to the world. And I'm, I'm just wondering um, what your vision is for Bitcoin in the future. What does the world look like for you under, under what uh, we're hoping to be a Bitcoin standard one day? Well, I think uh, one one thing, and I, I, I've said this on at least one other podcast, but um, you know, Bitcoin has obviously changed my life financially. Uh, I'm going through a very difficult uh, time right now where I have uh, a major, major expense to deal with. And uh, luckily, I can now cover that. And it's just a tiny portion of my net worth, whereas it would have been devastating to me uh, five years ago. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know what I would have done if I didn't have this wealth behind me. Um, you know, but, uh, so, so there's that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not an inquisitive person. I'm, I'm not going to be, you know, flying private or even first class for that matter. I, I like to slum it, uh, you know, regardless of my wealth. Um, but the real way it's changed my life as somebody, you know, um, you know, it, it just it just turns out because of my analytical skills, I've I've always been a really talented investor, and I've done very well with my investments. And uh, the only times that uh, I've failed, like the really really my two worst investments were related to friends who uh, had uh, poor character that I didn't see. And um, and it was just devastating to me in a couple of levels in terms of what I lost financially, but also just uh, when you get betrayed and you get let down by somebody you love and trust, it is a kick in the nuts. Like you will, if, if that's never happened to you, if you've never like put out uh, and really sacrificed for somebody you love and believe in. Uh, it's it's the most painful thing you could ever go through, uh, and uh, and that's when I've lost financially. And it's it's uh, I wouldn't wish that experience on anybody. But you know, one of the things, uh, you know, apart apart from how it changed my financial situation, uh, Bitcoin really throws into stark relief. Uh, the people within Bitcoin who are working in the most honorable ways imaginable and the people who aren't. I think we talked offline a little bit about people who, you know, fund their podcast from from gambling sites or whatever, or from selling ads to Celsius or, uh, you know, questionable custodians or or any of that stuff. Um, you know, you Bitcoin, Bitcoin for for some reason, there's something intrinsic to it, probably related to how it solved the Byzantine generals problem. There's something intrinsic to it that really um, uh, puts the spotlight on trust and character and honorability, and it it, it just reveals people's honorability within the Bitcoin ecosystem in a way that doesn't seem to be revealed outside of the world of Bitcoin. Outside of the world of Bitcoin, character is uh, is kind of masked 
just like, you know, in, in Hawthorne's Young Goodman Brown, everybody going about their business during the day out in society looks normal and interchangeable and people you could love and trust. But, you know, at night when you go into the forest, you know, if you really want to know what's going on, you'll see who, you know, who the people of questionable character really are. I mean, that's the reason that that uh, story is still universally taught in the ninth grade in, in the United States. It's a story everybody has to read, Nathaniel Hawthorne. Uh, not that it's beautifully written, but that, that theme will tug at you over the decades if you read it as a younger person. Um, and, and, you know, Bitcoin, Bitcoin is that spotlight that reveals character. It's just, it's just kind of hard to be a Bitcoiner in Bitcoin circles mm. and to not be confronted with the choice of like, uh, you know, do I sell out now for some easy sats? Well, fuck no. You know, I, at least where I'm concerned, you know, and it's just uh, it's just uh, I kind of feel that now armed with Bitcoin and also having been kicked in the nuts a couple of times by <laughs> close friends, uh, I'm never going to I'm, I'm never going to uh, have that happen again. Mm. Thank God, because my heart couldn't take it. Yes, and I think this is the beauty about Bitcoin. It really teaches you immediately. So as I've said previously, I uh, did get paid before I took on my uh, current job. Um, I did get paid by a few clients in Bitcoin because it was just easier. You know, they had their main offices in America. I live in Europe. God forbid. I mean, I had banks who, you know, would allow local bank accounts in dollars and like they could use the shitty um wiring system whatever the u.s has but it would cost me a lot of money it would take weeks we all know the issue and with you know getting paid weekly by them because i set up uh basically that they pay me in lightning instead of on-chain because you know it was cheap and all of these things for them and you know it was nice to get paid weekly instead of monthly um i was able to solve that issue but unfortunately at my time back then my income in Bitcoin related to the income I made in fiat was just not covering it. Granted, this is the lesson I took away from it. I was living in a too much expensive city, um, really having cut down my costs. But, you know, if you have an expensive rent, unless you're able to find stuff like a roommate or you can't really move out for uh, other reasons, think of family reasons, etc. Um, this really kicks you in the nuts if you have to sell a portion of your Bitcoin to pay because people are too stupid to accept you in Bitcoin. But then again, as soon as I had oh. to do it, I went like... Yeah. Shit, and now I'm gonna stack even harder. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it was a painful thing to do because I had to pay the bills. But then at the second time, yeah. looking back, I went, okay, we either make sure that you cover enough in fiat that you don't have to sell, or and this is sort of what I started doing. If I let's say have to sell, I don't know, four hundred bucks, I would try and buy back eight hundred. So I would try to make as soon as I had to convert it, buy it back at that price, even add a bit of top of that, and somehow extend your reserves in Bitcoin. I know it's not always easy for everyone because we all have different lives and different perspectives. But that realization of sitting there and going, the minute you actually sell it, it teaches you something in return. And, you know, you immediately want to get back on. I mean, I have invested in gold. Yeah, I did invest in some tech <laughs> stock, but this is the best this is the best teacher you could possibly get in life at least in my opinion um whatever you do later on that's obviously down to you but just having that constant feedback loop within bitcoin within the community 
for you know whatever reasons, debating if Andreas Antonopoulos is good or bad or whatever. And this is what really fascinates me, that something as simple as Bitcoin essentially can emerge and then sort of be a, um, a turnaround for a lot of people out there. And it's like you said, the uncompliant, just a small portion of the world actually has realized this. So once everyone gets on board, this is potentially really a game changer. Well, well, Joel, uh, you know, I, 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 you're obviously on on the younger side, probably still in your twenties. Yeah, by the time the episode is out, I'm still 27. So, <laughs> so yeah, still in my twenties. Okay, yeah. <laughs> okay. So uh, don't join the 27 club on us. That's all I ask. You know, stay away from Jimi Hendrix and Janis Joplin and Jim Morrison. <laughs> um, so, so um, yeah, we need you here. So, uh, but. You know, somebody somebody your age, I mean, you're you're less than half my age, uh, but, uh, you know, there's a reason you're uh, we've just met, but you're obviously a frugal guy who is not like living high on the hog. And there's a reason why you had to sell your Bitcoin to make rent. It's because in the UK, uh, just like the US, but even even more severe, perhaps, um, you know, the constantly degrading currency has uh, caused housing to be monetized, and and that pushes up the price of housing in relation to uh, the value of the pound, and and in turn pushes up rents to levels that are several times uh, higher adjusted for income than they were when your dad was your age. And, uh, you know, I, I remember back when I went to college, I was in this really, uh, really beautiful part of town living in a converted garage for 400 bucks a month. And, you know, I, I was uh, within a couple blocks of the beach and my life kicked ass. And, you know, since then, all of those houses have been knocked down and many mansions have gone up and people don't even live in the things. It's like a, a Chinese ghost city where the whole point of it, its existence is wealthy people investing in a second home that they scarcely use for the purpose of hoping that uh, real estate will continue to appreciate in, in relation to the dollar. And that's that effect is why you were being bled month by month uh, at an unreasonable rate for your housing and why you were forced to sell your Bitcoin but luckily, you had the knowledge and the strength of character to be like, oh, I'm not parting with this for very long. I'm going to you know, move heaven and earth to buy back even more for every for every sat you make me sell. I'll buy two, mm, mm. you know. OK, uh, just a quick remark there. If you actually teach us to people that, you know, if you need to spend or even if you want to spend your sats, it's OK, but still have skin in the game. Get back into it. You know, life comes at you in every shape or form, but you have the knowledge to always be I wouldn't say always be there for Bitcoin, but like to have Bitcoin there and to have the option to still purchase it, um, convert it to fiat in a very cheap manner. This is where you actually should be proactive um, and not too lazy because we all know it. Once once crazy times are back in, people get lazy and, you know, they may forget to restack or whatever. Um, but once you still have the opportunity, you should definitely get on board. And I'll shut up now so Ian can add his two cents as well. No, I was just going to say, firstly, Joel, like your story about how how to work out your own financial literacy, right? You've you've had to really sort of think. You've seen the value of Bitcoin, and uh, once you see the value, you know that you know selling it for for fiat um, is painful, right? Because uh, you just want to get back onto that value as as 
at that store of value as quick as possible, right? So you have to work out ways to be financially literate. And this is things that people every day don't actually have the privilege of being able to understand because they didn't even know understand what value is or even what money is in the first place. So I think a lot of people, normies, if you want to call them that, are so far away and detached from the essence um, of of what uh, value is. Um, and with and with regards to the whole property side of things and the um, how how expensive property is now, because obviously, as you said, Dion comply. You know, uh, houses are being used as a store of value, which you know increases the the, the costs of those houses, which puts people further down the uh, ladder of uh, getting onto a property or being able to live. In, in relative comfort, particularly like around London, you see a lot of younger people now. They're, they're living in, 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 in one house, but there's like four or five people living in different rooms. You know, they're sharing a house uh, that would otherwise should be uh, down to its utility value owing to, um, you know, if it is under Bitcoin, uh, it should, you know, go, go down in, um, you know, that sense. But um, I don't know if you want to, right on the back of anything of what I've said, the end can play. I, I just want to say, you know, uh, 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 ten, five, ten minutes ago, I was talking about buying entire Bitcoins. Obviously, the reality has changed uh, today for, especially for people in Joel's situation, you know, who's not making that much money, but still wants to stack sats. Um, I think the the if you're if you're not buying entire bitcoins and and I think if you're if you happen to be quite well off being a whole coiner uh, and just deciding hey you'll take your lumps it's either going to zero or it's going to the moon uh, that's that's a pretty great investment if if you if you still have the funds available to readily purchase an entire bitcoin I mean it really puts you. Uh, God, I you know do the math. You know, twenty-one million into seven billion. I think you know it's it's something like if you could only buy one bitcoin. If if the rules were everybody gets either one bitcoin or zero, it's something like one out of every four hundred people could have a bitcoin. So it really puts you into rarefied uh, uh, a, a level of holding if you're able to own an entire one. I mean, the numbers would be even crazier. It, once you realize that there's the Michael Saylors who own thousands, and then there's uh, you know all the plebs who own a tenth of a Bitcoin, to to get up to an entire Bitcoin uh, probably puts you into the realm of one in several thousand people. Uh, and um, you know, hey, if you have uh, you know if you're lucky enough to have uh, hundreds of thousands of uh, quid or, or dollars in assets, uh, you know. Buying buying one Bitcoin is still a, a relatively moderate investment. Now, where does that leave people who couldn't even begin to afford a Bitcoin? How much how much Bitcoin is, should you be thinking of that you know that you could still afford and that's reasonable? That's something I get into into my Bitcoin Basics uh, essay, and I think we might as well very quickly cover it here. You know, like what. What what's an amount of Bitcoin that somebody like you, Joel, could aspire to to thicken up your stack and and still know that it matters? And and I think in that respect, um, it makes sense to uh, 
divide to to take the seven million or seven billion people on Earth and uh, and and divide uh, divide that into the twenty one million coins that will ultimately exist. Uh, how much Bitcoin is that? And it turns out to be uh, essentially zero point zero zero to seven Bitcoin, more or less. I'm, I'm, I think my math is, they, you know, we just hit seven billion. So anyway, the point is, it's something like 0 0.0027 Bitcoin. And I just want to say, I say this in my essay, that I think if you write that down, that's a very useful amount of Bitcoin to know about, because that is one person's worth of Bitcoin. And so it just stands to reason that if you can purchase that much Bitcoin, that's a very significant increment of Bitcoin to own. And uh, I just uh, opened up my MacBook and uh, and typed uh, 0.0027 Bitcoin to USD. And uh, what's the date? It's uh, it's the 30th of November, right? And right now, Bitcoin's selling for 37,700 bucks. It's going to be undoubtedly different by the time this episode airs. But it just so happens that right now, uh, that quantity of Bitcoin, 0 0.0027 Bitcoin, is worth almost exactly 100 bucks, 101 dollars and 80 cents, and that's what it costs to buy you know, a very substantial amount of Bitcoin in a world of hyper-Bitcoinization. So, you know, if I didn't, uh, if I didn't have it, I'd be on as a straight man. I would be, if I couldn't get it any other way, I would be on my way to a truck stop uh, to suck people off for $40 a throw to get, to raise that. I could raise that hundred bucks in a couple of hours. And uh, that's that's what I if, if I had no other way to get it, that's what I would do, uh, because you got to You got to end up with a hundred hundred bucks worth of Bitcoin uh, one it, way guys. or another. You heard it. Get Bitcoin yeah. any means possible. <laughs> yeah. yeah. As long as as long as nobody's getting as long as nobody's getting hurt, do what it takes. As long think, as nobody's I mean, getting think, hurt, but maybe if people get off, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just the point is, do what it takes. Wash dishes, you know. Do what it takes. Set a, if you can if if you can set if you can set aside and hodl uh, a few uh, a, a few increments worth of. 0.0027 Bitcoin. If you could buy five times that, if you could put $500 into Bitcoin, that's a fuckload of Bitcoin. And and then the other thing I want to say to piggyback on that is buy it and commit to hodling it for the next decade. Like, come hell or high water, you're not going to sell. And it's either, it's a binary outcome, it's either going to zero or it's going to the moon. And it, it, Bitcoin, the one thing I'm sure, I mean, I'll, I'll bet my left arm and my left nut on this. It's if, if I'm lucky enough to be back on your podcast in, in 10 years, Bitcoin might have failed, but and it might go to the moon, but there is no fucking way it's going to be selling for $38,000 each. 
or anything like that. It's either it's a binary outcome. And and so like just sign up to go for the entire ride. And if Bitcoin triples in three weeks or three months or three years, you might feel tempted to sell. Fuck that. No, you're you're going to hodl. Uh, you're going to be a hodler of last resort and 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 hold this thing for another 10 years and uh, and just just see this story through to the end. Do not put down the book halfway through because this this book is going to have a very interesting ending, I assure you. <laughs> or some might say a happy ending. I uh, uh, yeah, well, anyway, <laughs> I, I I'm I, I'm broadcasting from Japan and not Thailand, but you know, whatever. <laughs> Close enough. Speak, speaking of happy endings, um, <laughs> that's the perfect segment, actually, Ian. Um, we like to uh, finish our episodes at the end comply with a little bit of a challenge for our guests because we want to prove certain narratives in Bitcoin. Some may check out, some may not. And the one we want to prove is that all roads eventually lead to Bitcoin. And we thought we'd come up with a pretty funny game. So we'll give you either a person, mm -hmm. a word, something related to that you'll hear in a second and you'll make you have to make a bridge to bitcoin it can be philosophical it can even be a personal experience of yours or it can be very simply that you say you can buy or sell this thing with bitcoin so it's up to you what you want to say and we thought the word of the day for you to bridge to bitcoin is um pièce de résistance or piece of resistance um, depending which side you're coming from, because I did read your Bitcoin Basics article and also saw it in French, yeah. and I speak French, so <laughs> I thought that would be a good fit. So how does Pièce de Résistance fit back to Bitcoin? Well, gosh, you know, I've, I've, I've read my Victor Hugo, and I uh, uh, probably identif identify with Robespierre or whatever. I don't know. Uh, but no, I, 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 I don't... Uh, I mean, my my exposure to France was visiting Paris and like looking for the Bastille and then discovering that they tore it down and uh, being bummed because I really wanted to go see the Bastille. Uh, and instead, I saw the Statue of Liberty or Libertad statue. And I was like really disappointed. Um, so, um, no, my 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 knowledge, you're, you're asking me something that is not up my alley. Uh, I, I mean, as close I get as I get to understanding French culture is that I think uh, Russia's song Bastille Day is one of their very finest pieces of work uh, on one of their very worst albums. Uh, but I don't even know what Pierre de Resistance actually means. So, uh, uh, so yeah, you've chosen something that I can't even begin to comment on. It's a, it's a piece of resistance. So it's the last resort before essentially a system breaks or something, something goes bust. Um, it's in terms of food also, the last food you can't digest. So maybe that helps you a bit in the bridge. Ah, uh, oh, okay. I like that. I'm, I'm going to have to dig into that concept. But but yeah, it's like it's it's the uh, it's the item you keep in your pantry for when all else fails. And if you're smart, by the way, you're keeping like beans in your pantry. Like I have more I have more beans than I can lift because uh, I I suspect we're heading into something sketchy. And those are not beans that I'm going to eat at any point other than when faced with an emergency because they're a couple of years out of date at this point. But, um, you know, we all need that. We all need our, Bitcoin is your lifeboat. Bitcoin is your lifeboat. And you do not sell your lifeboat. 
That's that's what I have to say on that. You know, uh, if you're on the Titanic and you have your own little lifeboat and uh, and you haven't hit the iceberg yet and somebody's offering you a couple thousand bucks for your lifeboat, do not sell because we're you know, I, I think we're we're on our way to hitting the life uh, to hitting the iceberg economically. And it's just really a matter of time. Like if you understand you know, listen to Lynn Alden, listen to James Lavish, listen listen to Lawrence Leppard. I mean, these people will lay it out for you about what is going to happen. And really, the only debate is the time frame. You know, it could happen next week. They're really good at kicking the can down the road. Maybe things still haven't crashed in five years, but it's we are very much, as James Lavish would put it, in, in a uh, debt spiral. And we're very far along. Things it's it, it's falling exponential properties, and uh, I think we've passed into the hockey stick part of the curve. And uh, it's it's inevitable that this system is is uh, has already broken, and uh, and and the fallout is going to be unpredictable. Anyway, buy some fucking satoshis. Like you have to do it. Buy and hold, you know, make friends with honorable, you know, deepen your connection with honorable people. And uh, let's build up a system that uh, that can uh, where where that that's not uh, connected to this young Goodman Brown system run by, you know, run by horrible compromises and wicked people that we currently have. Absolutely. I mean, they're, they're, everything's falling apart right now. We need to really sort of think about how we can protect ourselves, how we can save our wealth. And, you know, for God's sake, guys, save Bitcoin for a rainy day, because that rainy day is just around the corner. And I couldn't have articulated it any better than you, DN Compliant. I've got to say thank you so much for sharing uh, your wisdom and your insights and your rabbit hole story with us here today. It's been an interesting uh, episode. And um, where can people find you? Uh, are you on the socials at all? And uh, where where can people connect with you? Uh, yeah, I'm on. I'm on. Uh, yeah, you can. You uh, well, I uh, you can see all of that at my website dncomply.com. Uh, which I don't monetize at all. That'll link to my Twitter and to my Noster and to other things. Uh, but I just want to say above all else, like um, even Satoshi admitted a man, a man or entity or woman of limitless gifts said that Bitcoin was uniquely hard to explain because, quoting, you know, there's nothing to compare it to. Um, if I have any gift at all, it's it's in explaining complicated weird things like that's what i've done my entire life and i regard my bitcoin basics piece as the finest piece i've ever written it uh, it will take you less than an hour to read and uh it is what i i i hope it's the ultimate orange pill to bitcoin and i i really uh would be so grateful to every one of your readers who took the time to read it and to read it and um every one of your listeners who took the time to read it and moreover to um hey we all need a bitcoin we all need a recommendation or a default recommendation 
I mean, your job as a as a Bitcoiner is is to give people the orange pill. It's not to like offer a nuanced explanation of Bitcoin. If Satoshi had problems doing that, you're going to have problems doing that. What 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 I'm urging you to do is to say, hey, whether it's my essay or something else, find a default motivation, uh, a default reference uh, to offer to people who want to learn more. Get people, you know, your your pitch. I think is basically, uh, you know, hey, this will change your life if you can invest a few hours into studying it. Start here. And, and, you know, use your social capital. People, your friends and family hopefully respect you enough that if you urge them to do an hour's worth of reading, they'll listen to you. That is the way that you can really orange pill. You know, use your social capital to get interested people to uh, follow your default recommendation. And then if your default recommendations are good enough, they'll, many of them will likely be orange pilled. And, uh, you know, I hope in my small and anonymous way, this was my contribution to uh, moving the needle for Bitcoin, because as uh, finishing up, as Corey Clipson has put it repeatedly, and this is one of the most important points in all of Bitcoin, we are in a race like the Janet Yellens of the world, uh, the Ben Bernanke's, you know, uh, uh, they're. They're looking to shut this down uh, and, and create central bank digital currencies. And the only way that we are going to come out on top is to orange pill as many people as quickly as possible so that Bitcoin becomes too big to kill. And we still we still aren't close to being there. We've gained a lot of progress thanks to people like Andreas, thanks to people like Michael Saylor, each of whom who've uh, sped up the Bitcoin timeline by at least a year. But um, it, at the end of the day, hyper-Bitcoinization is not going to happen because of Michael Saylor. It's going to be, happen because of tens of thousands of plebs who are just relentlessly orange-pilling their friends and family. And if you, can, uh, if you in doing that, decide that my uh, Bitcoin basics piece is your default recommendation, I would just be really grateful and honored. But whatever you find that you think is best, choose that and get it out to everybody possible. You heard it, guys. You better check out those show notes because we're most certainly going to be linking everything um, in there uh, that DN compliers contributed um, to the Bitcoin ecosystem. And thank you so much for being able to have that gift, that being able to explain uh, these abstract things um, in a way that can put that signal out there for people to understand it. Um, so thank you for your finite time here with us here at Rabbit Hole Stories. And um, for everyone else that's listening, uh, thank you for your time as well and stay curious.